1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up everyone, it's Dr. Will Cole and welcome to the Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the world's first functional medicine telehealth centers over a decade ago. Can't believe it. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, and The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's loads of free content and resources there as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right, let's get to today's brilliant guest, dear friend of mine, Dr. Judy Ho. She is a triple board certified and licensed clinical and forensic neuropsychologist, a tenured associate professor at Pepperdine University, and published author, most recently penning Stop Self-Sabotage, which we're going to talk all about. It she is just one of the most brilliant people in this space. And she's also a co-host on the daytime talk show, The Doctors. And she also is a co-host of CBS's Face the Truth and host of the Supercharged Life podcast, which focuses on scientific and tangible tips for physical and mental wellness. Dr. Ho is an avid researcher and is a two-time recipient of the National Institute of Mental Health Services Research Award, and she hosts an active research program to improve mental health care for high-need populations and is the chair of the Institutional Review Board at Pepperdine University. Her treatment approaches integrate the scientific principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, and the dialectical behavioral therapy. She often speaks at national and local events, including research, clinical, and corporate conferences and workshops for organizations and schools. Today, we get deep in the research and practical tips for you to stop your own self-sabotage, for you to help people that you love around you as well. We talk about personal attachment and relationship types and how to improve your relationships in every aspect of your life. We talk about productivity and motivation and how it can foster self-care and her favorite self-care tips to alleviate burnout. If you're struggling with feeling like you're burnt out and fatigue, definitely a lot of real practical tips here. We talk about how to manage depression and anxiety with simple, practical, science-backed tools. We talk about the six common self-sabotage triggers that lead us down that self-undermining spiral. We talk about different personality types and how to lean into your strengths for better mental health. And I also ask what Judy thinks about the Enneagrams we Geek out about the Enneagram, the personality test, the personality science study of the Enneagram, and what her favorite personality study and test is. All right, let's get to today's conversation with my friend, Dr. Judy Ho. Dr. Judy Ho, thank you so much for being on The Art of Being Well.
1: Oh, Dr. Cole, it's so great to reconnect with you again. Thanks for having me on your program.
0: I am honored. I am such a fan of your work over the years, and I've learned so much from you, and I'm excited to share your work and your message with everybody that's listening right now. So let's start with something that you've talked about a lot, lot, very eloquently, and it's the topic of your book as well, is self-sabotage. I see it so much when I'm consulting patients, the people sabotaging their health journey, whether it be their mental health or physical health, a goal that they have. It's just so hardwired in so many people's lives. And we don't really talk about it. We don't know how to deal with it. And that's what you are really trying to empower us with and about. So can you talk about what is self-sabotage specifically? What are some examples of it? And let's start there.
1: Absolutely. So self-sabotage is really quite simply just when you get in your own way, despite saying that you have a certain goal, these goals can be in your health behaviors, as you just alluded to, but they can also be in your career. They could be in your family relationships your intimate and romantic relationships and your friendships. And oftentimes people recognize that pattern. They see that something is stopping them from reaching their objectives, but they don't quite know what to do about it. And that's what I noticed that a lot of people would say that I self-sabotage something. And then they're kind of like, oh, well, I guess that just happens to me. And I really wanted people to feel empowered that there's a lot of scientific tools that you can use to get to the bottom of it and actually apply these strategies to your daily life so that you can effectively reach your goals and feel better about yourself.
0: Something that you talk about in the book is... ACT, which I didn't hear about it until you taught me it. so let's talk about this acceptance and commitment therapy. And you talk about how to build psychological flexibility. I talk about metabolic flexibility with health, psychological flexibility. So what is ACT and what's psychological flexibility?
1: So acceptance and commitment therapy is actually one of my favorite interventions. I'm just so glad that you brought it up. It is a theory that's based in part in cognitive behavioral therapy, which more people have heard about because it's been mm-hmm. around for decades very skills-based intervention, teaching you how to manage your thoughts and your behaviors to feel better about yourself and your emotions and how you can control essentially these sort of slippery emotions that kind of go all over the place and make you have a bad day when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. So it incorporates some of those techniques, but it has this very non-judgmental quality to it because it also infuses Eastern elements of acceptance. And on top of that, they teach you also how to live a value-based life. We are such goal-driven people. And especially when we're not feeling well, we can feel really down about ourselves and then essentially not move forward. And acceptance and commitment therapy says you don't have to wait until you feel better to do the things that really matter to you. Even if you're having a day and you're having a tons of anxiety today, that doesn't mean that you still can't move towards a value-based life to pursue those things that are of utmost important to you. And I think that that's a really great message because I know a lot of people who say, well, when I feel better, then I'll do this, you know, Mm -hmm. and now it's saying, we're saying, no, you don't have to wait. You can do something now to have a values-based life. And that's what I really love about that. And so psychological flexibility is an interesting idea. It's the ability to essentially stay in contact with this present moment, even if you are having unpleasant thoughts, feelings, or bodily sensations while choosing the behaviors you will conduct today based on the situation and again, on your highest personal values. And so that's how the concept of psychological flexibility came about. And ACT has a multitude of different techniques for you to work on building that psychological flexibility muscle.
0: Mm. And you talk about this at length in the book. So people can read the book for the deep dive on this, but I still want them to hear verbally from you. These six techniques that I think are within ACT or ACT, but the acceptance, cognitive diffusion, which I find fascinating, being present, something that you refer to as self as context, and you mentioned values and committed action. If you could briefly touch on those, because I think there's such a wealth of action steps and insight that people can start to lean into.
1: Oh, absolutely. So essentially, you work on building this psychological flexibility muscle through the ACT hexaflex. And these are essentially six groups of interventions or techniques that you can utilize to build psychological flexibility in your life. And one of the most important things about the idea of the hexaflex is that if one technique or one body of techniques doesn't quite work for you today, you can try the next. You know, it's very, very flexible and fluid. And sometimes you have to use different types of techniques to affect change in different days, depending on the situation. So the first group of techniques is called contact with the present moment. So this is the process of becoming acquainted with sensory experiences in the here and now. And by practicing various mindfulness techniques, clients are then able to develop awareness that is a crucial foundation for all of the other exercises in ACT. It's really important when you feel your thoughts running away from you or when you're feeling overwhelmed to bring everything back to right now. And that's what the group of present moment or mindfulness techniques really help you to do. There's also another group of techniques in the Hexaflex called experiential acceptance. And this is the process of practicing non judgmental awareness to both internal events happening in your mind, these are your thoughts and emotions, as well as external events, the situation that you're going through. And through the practice of radical acceptance, one can recognize that sometimes there are things that are out of our control. And if we let go of the struggle, like we're not running away from it, we know that it's out of our control and it's worrisome, but we make decisions about the part that we have control over and we act on that. And that can be a very powerful tool to feeling like you do have agency over your life, which is what a lot of people com- complain about. And I think that even in this last year and change with the pandemic that's the biggest complaint is people feel out of control with their lives. So experiential acceptance and practicing that can really aid with that. Cognitive diffusion is the next group of techniques. And this is the process of learning to notice the process of thoughts that you have rather than getting caught up in the content. So you learn to observe your thoughts without judgment. And that's easier said than done, but with practice, we can all do it these thoughts that may have previously led to significant distress or caused you a lot of emotional pain, or even caused you to act impulsively, and then later on you regret those actions. Well, when you observe thoughts and don't stick to them, it can really help you to not make emotional decisions that might not be best for your well being. And also, it causes you to understand that thoughts are kind of just thoughts and they don't have to actually be true. And if you can kind of stick to that tenet, it really helps you to understand a little bit more of how to deal with these negative thoughts when they come up. The fourth element of the hexaflex is called self is context. This is the process of contacting what we call the observing self. This is the part of you that has been able to witness all of your thoughts and feelings and actions at any moment. It's been with you since the beginning of life. It's the part of you that's really whole and essentially pure and undamaged in many ways. Like if you're going through pain right now, there's a part of you that's going through that pain. And we call that as content. But selfish context is essentially the observer, the narrator, if you will. If you're watching a TV show, you're the audience. So you're invested in what's going on to the extent that you're curious about it. But it doesn't really hurt you either way, no matter what happens with like the actors who are in the film or the actors that you're watching on stage. And so this idea of being able to go back and forth between the self as content person who's going through everything that you're going through right now and the self as context, which is a person who's observing from afar and can just say, guess what? You know, I've survived so far and I will survive this as well. And this too shall pass it's very, very helpful to be freed from any of your past traumas by really tapping into that skill. And the last two parts of the hexaflex are committed action and values. So committed action is really the process of taking steps towards goals that are rooted in your values. And so you wanna understand what's truly important to you in your life. And through this process, connecting to a deeper sense of what truly matters, like what's your purpose? How do you want people to talk about you when you're not in the room? This doesn't have as much to do with checking things off a list, but more about values that you just want your life to be about like honesty, integrity, adventure, spirituality, the attainment of knowledge and so on. And once you would define what your top values are, making sure that your goals are anchored in those values is gonna make for a more rich and meaningful life. And the committed action part of it is you deciding to move forward so that you can live a life consistent with your values, Mm -hmm. even when you're scared, even when you're fearful, even when you have self-doubt. And the funny side effect of that is, even though the main goal is just to live a values-based life. The side effect is you do have more positive mood. You do have less anxiety because the more you live a meaningful and purposeful life, the better you feel about yourself. And that's just a naturally occurring side effect of values and committed action.
0: My patients often ask me what snacks I recommend. They want something healthy. They want something nutrient dense, but also tastes delicious. This is something that I love as well. It's not just something that I recommend for my patients. So when you're at that two or three o'clock in the afternoon, snack craving, you will go for something that is healthy and delicious because believe me, there are so many so-called healthy snacks out there, but I found most of them are either tasteless or they taste freaking horrible (laughs) or they're loaded with sugar or empty calories and they leave people hungry again 20 minutes later. Which is why I was so excited when I found Paleo Valley's 100% grass-fed beef sticks. They're made with 100% grass-fed and finished beef plus certified organic spices for a delicious and filling protein snack. I keep one of them in the glove box of my car, I take them when I'm traveling, I have them in between consulting patients in my office, at my functional medicine telehealth center, literally they are everywhere in my life. Plus, Paleo Valley beef sticks are naturally fermented so they have a long shelf life without the use of harsh chemicals. So you're helping to heal your gut and properly digest all the beneficial protein and nutrients with every bite. Plus they're gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. And they're perfect for anyone on a low carb or sugar-free diet or just want to eat clean because they are carb-free and every flavor is sugar-free with the exception of teriyaki, which only has two grams of organic honey, which is a really clean sweetener. They come in five different delicious flavors. I love them all, honestly. So there's one for everyone in the family to enjoy. My personal favorite is, without a doubt, jalapeno. It has just the right amount of spice and has chunks of real jalapeno in it. With more than 10 million sold and a five-star rating on Amazon, they only continue to grow in popularity. If you wanna find out what all the hype is about, go to paleovalley.com and use my code, Dr. Will, for 15% off your order. And thanks to their 60-day 100% money-back guarantee and excellent customer service, you can basically try these risk-free today. Go to paleovalley.com and use code DRWILL, that's D-R-W-I-L-L, all one word, no punctuation, for 15% off today. Heal at home or on the go with higher doses portable infrared sauna blanket experience the powerful benefits of infrared and feel the difference after just one session. Infrared increases blood flow for a faster recovery, better sleep and a calmer central nervous system. Plus it naturally releases a dose of happy chemicals in the brain, leaving you feeling euphoric. The sauna blanket has an amethyst layer to deepen benefits of infrared, a tourmaline layer that generates negative ions a charcoal layer to bind to pollutants, and a clay layer which is balancing for the heat. If you don't have the budget or the room for a full-size sauna, this sauna blanket is a game-changer. For those of you who want to experience the benefit of infrared without the sweat... They also have a really cool infrared PEMF mat that comes in two sizes. It combines the dual technology of infrared with PEMF for an unbelievable recharging experience. I love both of these products without a doubt. PEMF stands for Pulse Electromagnetic Field and it works by sending electromagnetic waves through your body at different frequencies to help promote your body's own recovery process. You will feel relaxed, regrounded, and rebalanced. These mats are built with a thick layer of 100% natural purple amethyst crystals in mesh fabric tubes across the entire mat. The smaller mat fits comfortably in an office chair so you can recharge while working. While the regular size mat is great for stretching, doing yoga, meditating, or just chilling and watching TV. Whether you deal with chronic pain, work out frequently, or just need a moment to relax, lying on their mats even a couple minutes a day will help ease your mind and body from the inside out. Get your own infrared sauna blanket or infrared PEMF mat at higherdose.com today and use my exclusive promo code WILL75 at checkout to save $75. That's higherdose.com, exclusive promo code WILL75, or just go to higherdose.com slash will to get your $75 off today.
1: Hey guys, it's Hunter. And Michaela, And this is the Model Citizen Podcast. We wanted to let the members of our community experience a different side of us that they see glimmers of, but never the full force exactly we wanted a place where we could talk unfiltered about anything and everything including our lives and experiences in the modeling industry beauty fashion dating sex marriage a dash of political commentary and of course pop culture honey we're going all the way in tune in every thursday for a giggle a laugh and maybe even a tear or two you've just found your new best friends and we're so happy to have you
0: So what does this work look like? I mean, if someone's going through these steps and if someone and you have these self-sabotage busters in the book, which are really practical exercises, I know every case is different. Everybody has their own baseline where they're starting out at. But what's a typical if I'm going to lean into these practices that you teach about in the book and in your work, how much time should we should we be devoting to this work?
1: It's a great question, Dr. Cole. And I think what I tell my clients is that it should really be a part of your everyday life. And depending on what's going on, you may practice more skills one day versus the other, but it should basically be something that you do every single day to some extent. And the most important thing about practicing these skills is that sometimes you want to practice them when you're not in distress, right? Because that kind of gives you that basis to draw from when you are distressed, By the time you're distressed, it's going to be really hard for you to reach down for those more healthy coping techniques if you've only learned them in theory and never done them. Mm. So you kind of want to make sure that you practice them enough that they just become kind of a natural go-to so that when you are feeling stressed, you don't have to flip open a book and try to read it from cover to cover to figure out how to practice a skill like you've already been doing it. And I think an easy way to start is to build it into a routine. One of the things that I tell my patients when they're trying to build a new healthy routine, when they say, well, I can't do this, this has never been something that I do, is I ask them if there's something else that they're already doing that's already part of their daily activities that they can couple that new healthy behavior with. So one example might be, you know, sometimes people will tell me, well, I have a morning routine where I always drink coffee in the morning. Okay. So if you know that that's going to happen for sure, if you're trying to start a new healthy behavior of journaling, couple your journaling with your drinking coffee, right? Cause that's going to be at least five to 10 minutes. And that's mm-hmm. also the time when you can, write in your journal. And that way you're coupling it to something that is already established. And usually that can help people a lot. The other way to make sure that you practice these skills is to actually schedule them into your calendar. Like right now, I'm actually going through a little bit of physical therapy to deal with a muscle injury that I developed during working out. And essentially it's like, I I have to schedule it into my calendar. Also never get done. And so I actually put it into my calendar, like an appointment. So I can make sure I do my 20 minutes of physical therapy every day. And and I think that, that a similar kind of sentiment can follow for people who are trying to establish this as a skill set is like make sure that you keep to it as an appointment. Go ahead and block out that time in your calendar and follow it as if you were having a meeting with somebody and somebody is counting on you. Love that. Something
0: you touched on that I think is so underappreciated is journaling. And it's, it's like an abstract, maybe nebulous term for somebody that's not used to what we're talking about here. Can you talk about journaling as a mindfulness practice? And if someone wants to start it, like what are some journaling practices that you recommend?
1: Yeah. You know, journaling is something that I think is so beneficial. And I'm so glad that you wanted to talk about it more because I don't think that years ago, I would have been necessarily a advocate of journaling. I thought it was boring. I'm like, why would you write this? You know, there's other things to do, right? And it's just so amazing what journaling can do for you. And there's not only one way to journal. So when people say that they don't like journaling, it's like, well, but there's thousands of ways to journal and there's no judgment, whichever way works best for you. So some of the benefits that we know about journaling is that It helps you to organize your thinking. If you think about the way that our thoughts work and the way our mind works, the typical person probably has somewhere like 30 to 40 or even 50,000 thought fragments in a day. Clearly we're not processing all of that. But if you're somebody who's prone to stress and anxiety, you'll know that when you're in those moments, it feels like your thoughts are just flying past you and you can't even catch them. And it makes you feel more disorganized over time. So journaling is something that is really helpful to kind of still your thoughts and to slow them down so you can actually process them in a logical manner because you can only write so quickly, you know. whereas where your thoughts that are in your head, they can go sometimes feeling like at lightning speed. Journaling is also something that can be very meditative for people. We know that our brains like routines and repetition. And even just this idea of having this tactile pen or pencil in your hand, writing on a piece of paper and having that repetitive motion of the pen moving on the paper, it can actually still your mind in a way that is very soothing. It's a self-soothing technique when you do anything that's kind of repetitive and has a rhythm to it. The other thing about journaling that can be really helpful is can help you to build insight. And so sometimes you're trying to think your way out of a problem. Why do I feel this way? Why can't I see my way out of this particular issue that I'm trying to resolve And the funny thing is, even if you just spent five minutes free writing about whatever is coming into your mind, it can actually help bring a lot of clarity to whatever you're struggling with. And so that's just a small handful of why journaling can be really helpful and important for you. And for people who are looking to start, I think it's great to try out a variety of different things. Some people like to free write, so they just set a timer. And to begin with, so that you don't get too stressed, just set it for five minutes and just... See what you come up with. And it doesn't really matter what you write about. It's like whatever your musings are, go ahead and write them down. That can be very helpful and freeing. Another way to get into the journaling habit is if you read something inspirational in the morning, you know whether it's a chapter or a quote, and then you just spend a couple of minutes journaling about it. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't know what I have to say. I like this quote, but I don't know what I want to say about it. Then just write the quote in your journal. Write it in your journal so you have a place to kind of refer back to it if you know that you came across a quote that you really like. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people journal by doodling or drawing. I think that that's really fun, especially for people whose thoughts are not always proceeding in this kind of progressive, linear way. It's kind of nice just to kind of draw whatever you're thinking about or your feelings that's another great way to journal as well. I think that that can be really fun and help you to discover a little bit of that youthful energy that you had when you were a child.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, it's true. I've seen people that um, we get the food down right, we get the natural medicine protocol down right, the other functional medicine stuff, but it's this stuff that you're talking about can be such a needle mover to actually improve somebody's health. And people don't get that connection that this bi-directional relationship between our thoughts and emotions and our physiology—it's so profound. And you mentioned like that, just the impact this could have on your mood and the cascade of that—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's truly astounding. So throughout the book, I mentioned these self sabotage busters, which I love, and I really love the appendix. I'm like a super fan of appendix in the back of the book. And can you talk about like what are some of your favorite, even just one? Like, what's one of your favorite, just out of your clinical experience, self sabotage busters that you put in the book that people can can start?
1: Well, I love the very simple technique of labeling, which is so easy to do. And you don't need any special supplies. You don't need your book. You don't need your phone. You don't need anything to do it. And this is essentially when you notice yourself having a very negative self-talk day, where you notice these negative self- thoughts that are obviously weighing you down and making you feel bad and maybe even preventing you from taking really positive action. And the, the whole idea behind that is it's really trying to get you to recognize that thoughts are just mental events. They don't have to reflect the truth and putting a little bit of distance, a little mental distance between the thoughts and you can be really immensely helpful. Oftentimes when people have a self uh, negative self-talk, they, they automatically adopt it to be true and even think that it identifies them in some way. And so the act of labeling is literally just attaching this small clause in front of whatever thought you're having. So you say this out loud to yourself, or you can mentally say it inside your head, but you, know, you just attach this clause, I'm having the thought that. So let's say your thought was, I'm never going to lose weight. Well, that feels very true. Like when you say, I'm never going to lose weight, it feels so like just profoundly true. Like there's no way out of it. But if you add the clause, I'm having the thought that I'm never going to lose weight. Notice what that does to the original thought. Mm -hmm. It puts a little bit of distance between the original thought and you. Mm -hmm. Plus it identifies the thought for what it is, which is, it's a mental event. So you, you, you are the agent. You had a thought that you're never gonna lose weight. Okay, well, you had that thought, but you're still in control. And does that mean that this is gonna be true? Not necessarily. And so that's a very quick 10 second technique that people can utilize wherever they are to try to just reshape their relationship with their thoughts a little bit. And over time, you'll find that this becomes easier and easier to use.
0: Mm, Yeah. Somewhere else in the book, you talk about these six, I think it's six or so, common self-sabotage triggers. And this is really important for people to hear um, because we are, if we're unconscious to this stuff, it happens without us even knowing we're being triggered. Um, But you mentioned generalizing and shoulds, like what are some, what are these and what should we look out for?
1: Yeah. So these thought triggers are essentially what tips you towards going into a spiral of self-sabotage because the tenant behind cognitive behavioral therapy is that thoughts precede your feelings and thoughts precede your actions. And so essentially, if you have a thought or interpretation about something, that's what causes you to have an emotional reaction and that's what causes you to act in a certain way. And so sometimes when we find that we have a certain pattern you know, of self-sabotage or just in general, like you know that when you're not feeling well, you tend to do things that you know aren't good for you, like isolating or ditching out on the goals that you have set are very important to you, is that these thoughts are pervading your mind and telling you a story that isn't true. And over time, we notice that we have certain patterns that like certain types of thoughts keep coming up and they have the same flavor or the same theme. And so when I talk about the six thought triggers. It's really about identifying those patterns in yourself. And one easy way to do that is the next time you notice a really uncomfortable, negative feeling, or the next time you do something and you're like, oh, why did I do that? And you're just upset at yourself for acting in a way that you know that you're going to not feel so good about later is to ask yourself this very simple question. What was I thinking just before this? and if you're able to do that routinely you'll catch these triggers you know it's like what is the thought that sets off the cycle of negative feeling and also negative actions so the different types of triggers are really easy to identify once you start doing this routinely asking yourself what was i thinking just before this and the six thought triggers as you mentioned one of them is really this over catastrophizing this is sort of when you Basically, think that the worst is going to happen to you always, and you don't leave any room for the fact that maybe it could go another direction. You kind of overestimate the uh, probability of the worst case scenario, and you find yourself essentially mulling that over and over again. And this comes from a very protective place for people. They kind of want to see the whole picture, including the worst, and prepare themselves. But it's actually very unproductive because most of the times, the worst case scenario is not going to happen. Yet you find yourself being trapped in that feeling. There's also another thought trigger called shoulds. These are for people who I think have really high standards for themselves and even other people. And oftentimes I think that they're not measuring up. I should be a better friend. I should be a better employee. I should have reached more goals by now. I should have gotten more done today. And the shoulds just never stop. And this causes a lot of anxiety and stress for people who ascribe to this particular thought trigger. Some people also ascribe to black and white thinking, which means that really there's no middle or grays. It's like everything's either all good or all bad. Mm -hmm. And that type of extreme can cause your mood to swing a lot. You know, one little thing happens, you're at the top of the world, then you get a disappointment and you're having the worst day of your life. And so knowing that that's a thought trigger of yours helps you to know what to work on in the future. Mind reading is something that we're probably all um, susceptible to, to some degree, because we're all social beings. But some people take this too far. You know, they basically think that if somebody else is unhappy, it must be because of something that they did. Or if somebody seems displeased, you try really hard to read their mind and you come up with all kinds of interpretations of what's going on without even checking with the person. And clearly that can lead to a lot of different problems, especially in terms of how you relate to others discounting the positive means that even when good things happen to you, you can't allow yourself to feel joy. You're still looking at you know what's around the corner or focusing more on that negative side of things. And so when you find out that that is a thought trigger of yours, it's really important to try to do some techniques to help you achieve more balanced and realistic thinking. Hmm. And finally, personalization. This particular thought trigger is really important because this is really about overly comparing yourself to everyone else. So this is that person who doesn't necessarily keep their eye on their own goals and they're looking around them and they're saying, well, how come so-and-so is already where I haven't been yet? And how come they have more money or how come they seem happier? And obviously that type of comparison can be really damaging. And now Mm -hmm. with social media, I think that that is ripe for having all kinds of personalization all the time because you look at everybody else's highlight reel and you think you don't measure up. And so that's an important thought trigger to work on as well.
0: Are you taking vitamins every day and feel no difference? Do you have a massive supplement graveyard, as I lovingly like to call it? Your body makes it really hard to absorb nutrients sometimes, both from food and from traditional supplements. So many things, from digestive conditions like celiac disease and IBS, to take medications like antibiotics and birth control pills, to even just being under a lot of stress can prevent you from absorbing vitamins and nutrients. With lipospheric supplements from Live On Labs, you can finally experience the benefits of high-dose vitamins and minerals by outsmarting your body's absorption barriers. Live On Labs is the first dietary supplement company to use liposomal encapsulation technology, a method pioneered by pharmaceutical companies to deliver life-saving drugs to the cells where they are needed. Lipospheric supplements offer a better way to absorb nutrients, including vitamin C, folate, B12, zinc, magnesium, and glutathione. The nutrients in lipospheric supplements are critical for optimal immune system function, long-term brain health, metabolism, your skin health, and so much more. Live On Labs only uses ingredients necessary to make a safe and effective product. There is no sugar or any artificial flavors colors, or fillers in any lipospheric supplement. Plus, they're all vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. No more choking down pills. You just squeeze a packet into one to three ounces of any cool beverage and take it like a shot. It's a healthy vitamin shot thanks to Live On Labs. Order any lipospheric supplement now from liveonlabs.com well and get a free sample of all six products, plus a free shot glass, free shipping on all orders in the continental US. That's liveonlabs.com well, L-I-V-O-N-L-A-B-S.com slash W-E-L-L. Mental health issues are on the rise. We've talked about this before, you and I, but I'm curious to know, and I'm curious for everybody to hear your answer on this. Do you think it's down to just better diagnostics? Because I hear some people on social media telling me that, well, these statistics are high because we have better diagnostics. Or do you feel like there's something else going on? I mean, with the rise of anxiety and depression and other mental health issues.
1: I definitely think that we do have more improved diagnostics now versus 10 or 20 years ago. And I think that people are slowly starting to be more comfortable with talking about it. There's still a lot of stigma around, but I do think that the culture has shifted so that people are willing to discuss it more. And that's why you're seeing more of it. But I also think that there are different stresses that this generation is experiencing that previous generations maybe have not in the same way. And I think that every generation kind of experiences their sort of cultural phenomenons. And, you know, obviously we're coming, we're not even completely done with this most recent one, which is COVID. I think that that has really caused people's mental health to be um, more problematic in the last year, year and a half. But I also think that just the advent of social media, the fact that all this information is at your fingertips and it causes information overload sometimes, the fact that there is just you know so much that pulls you away from some of the ways that we know can help you to really achieve stable and healthy connections. Like people are thinking that they're being more active and social, but because all of their connections are online and kind of asynchronous, they're losing out on those quality relationships that you have sometimes offline. And I think that online, you can have those quality relationships too, but Online, there's just so many distractions that it's really Mm -hmm. hard to cultivate deeper relationships. And I think that people are feeling disconnected, even with all the connection. And we know that connection is such a vital part of good mental health. And I think that people are losing sight of how to get that over time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last time we talked properly, you and I at length was before the pandemic. It was actually right before the pandemic. And we were talking about this loneliness epidemic then, and which just exponentially exacerbated during the pandemic and even coming out of it, it's still there and still a major problem. What are some ways where people can improve true, authentic social connection, not this maybe not very helpful. And uh, you could look at the statistics of the rise of anxiety, depression, suicide since social media, which has amazing benefits, but has really unregulated. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Is that because there's two sort of camps in this space where it's fine, it's, it's not a big deal. And then for other people like, no, this is a major contributor to, to isolation and loneliness. What, what are your thoughts on that? And what could we do about it?
1: Yeah, great question. And I think, you know, social media has its pros and cons. And I think that it's really about utilizing the the social media um, aspects that are pros versus leaning into the ones that are cons. And so I think a lot of people just passively scroll through their social media because they're bored. That's one of the surefire ways to actually feel more disconnected and also to really activate that personalization thought trigger where it's like, oh my God, their life looks so exciting and amazing. What am I doing? So don't scroll passively, you know, actually engage, you know, write comments, you know, go back and forth with somebody do your own posts and try to make your posts, you know, interesting and and something that might help other people. You know, those are some ways to try to engage in social media in a more healthy way. If you find that you have a problem where you just keep opening your social media out of boredom or just out of some kind of compulsion, you might want to limit your social media time. People sometimes feel overwhelmed, for example, when they have to check emails all throughout the day. Well, then if that happens, maybe you should just check your, you know, email twice a day it's the same thing with social media. Why don't you set aside 15 to 20 minutes, you know, one time in the morning, one time in the evening where you get to interact with your social media and the rest of the time, try not to open it. You know, that can also be really helpful. I also think that this idea of really having singular attention when you're trying to cultivate a relationship with anyone, whether it's online or offline is really important. You know, we oftentimes find people going to restaurants, sitting in a group and they're all on their phones and they're all posting about the food or the picture that they just took. And that actually takes a lot away from the enjoyment of that time and actually building deeper relationships. So whatever you're doing, however you're connecting with people, make sure that your focus is singularly on them. Not only do you get more enjoyment out of it, they also feel that love and that respect from you and they'll respond in kind. And I think lastly, remember that quality is always more important than quantity. We know this from decades of research. So while it might feel really great to have thousands and thousands of followers, it's much more important to really think about who are that? Who is that three or five, you know, top people who are at your inner circle? How do you strengthen those relationships every day? If you haven't talked to one of the important people in your life, how do you reach out to them today and just say hello and, you know, ask them how they're doing? You know, really spend time cultivating these quality relationships because you get more benefit too, and you're also going to be helping someone else.
0: Yeah, well said. This is a little bit off topic, but not really. I I this is my selfish a sidebar for you to know what your thoughts are on the Enneagram. Do you know about the Enneagram? I hear people talking about the Enneagram. I know very little about the Enneagram, but what are your thoughts on it? And do you know your Enneagram number if you do?
1: (laughs) You know, I don't know my Enneagram number, although I have some guesses. I think Enneagrams are really interesting. I mean, I think it's just really just an idea, another personality theory for you to understand more about yourself. And so Enneagrams is really a, a model of the human psyche, which is taught as a typology of nine interconnected personality types. And some people will have a dominant type or maybe they have a dominant two or three types. And this idea of the Enneagram is interesting because it's really just about self-knowledge and self-acknowledgement. I think that a lot of times, especially in the clinical world, we focus so much on identifying people's difficulties and issues. And Enneagrams are actually really more positively leaning. It's really kind of about understanding how you generally work so that you can utilize those strengths to be able to reach goals or to have better relationships. And so... The idea about the enneagrams, which is kind of cool, is that when you think about these nine types, they basically have certain values that they ascribe to more, um, certain basic fears and desires, and certain virtues that people are drawn to them for. But they also do talk sometimes about like what is the likely vice or passion for uh, vice or what we call passion for this person, and it's also an opportunity to try to improve upon yourself and and know where kind of your possible weaknesses are and to try to work on them. So, you know, obviously we could have a whole other conversation about Enneagrams, but what I love about it is this idea of just wanting to explore more about yourself and understanding that in for the betterment of your relationships and also for your goals. And I support any kind of delving into personality theories to try to, to try to get that understanding. I feel like Enneagrams is more popular now. A few years ago, it was like the Myers-Briggs, right? But it's all very similar. Like people are just trying to understand themselves better so that they can do better in their life.
0: I've been told I'm an Enneagram five wing six. So I I can
1: see that. Yeah. So five is the investigator or the observer and six is the loyalist or the loyal skeptic. And some of your virtues are things like courage and being able to really replace direct experience and explain concepts really well, which from what I know about you, like that's what you are. You know, you try to master a craft or a science, and then you teach it really well to other people, and try to make it uniquely understandable to each individual. And so, I can totally see that.
0: Thanks. I need to know what yours is. I'm curious. I'm to-
1: I know. <laughs> I, want- will, I will take it, and I'll give you an update. <laughs>
0: All right, we'll do it. Well, I'll add it in the uh, outro <laughs> afterwards. Yes. Yes. Like,
1: do you have a favorite?
0: You, you said this. That those are beneficial to be more introspective, learn about yourself, and evolve. What is your favorite personality system? Is it Myers Briggs? Is, is that You know,
1: I like Myers-Briggs. I've also been really into the four temperaments because that's what essentially a lot of the modern personality theories boil down to. It comes out of the four temperaments. And so the four temperaments are pretty cool because essentially you can have all different combinations. So it's not that you only have four personality types because you could have like one leading one and like a secondary one. And the four temperaments when they were first developed, they actually had Greek names and the Greek names were actually slightly depressing. And so when I teach it, I've renamed them to be animal types. And so um, the four temperaments to me, when I teach it is panther owl, dolphin and peacock and it shows you a little bit about what each person's strengths are and I really love talking about personality styles and so that's the one that I've been really into lately because I think it's like all-encompassing and easy for people to grasp
0: that's cool so what are the what are the differences between them briefly the panther yeah and the owl so and
1: yeah yeah so so the panther is kind of like your your go-getter your type a person and some of the virtues are that they are very, very strong and assertive and opinionated and they see the big picture. But some of their vices are that they're not very patient with people who like take their time to make decisions. And they can be kind of loud sometimes because they're so assertive that people might find them even to be aggressive sometimes if they're very singularly focused. If you're a dolphin, you're the peacemaker, you're the person who when you walk into the room, people just like take a deep breath and they're like, "Oh, like this is good." And dolphins, you know, they they like to take their time. They like to build relationships one at a time. They like to reflect. They're a little bit more introverted, but their thoughts are very rich. And um, some of the vices though, is that it just takes them a long time to make a decision and they don't like to be rushed. And so if you're paired with somebody like a panther, you guys have to really work on understanding each other a bit more. The owl is a person who is very detail oriented. So when you think about the panther, the panther is somebody who's big picture. They're like a visionary, but they're not very good when it comes to like actually executing the details. That's why you always need an owl because an owl is analytical When they speak, and they don't speak often, but when they speak, they're very wise, they're deep thinkers. They like to do things one thing at a time, just like dolphins, but they're very goal oriented as well. So they love to discover different intellectual things and they don't mind spending time on their own. And some of their vices are, they don't talk about feelings very easily. So if you try to probe too much before they're ready, they can kind of withdraw into their own little corner and essentially basically um, actually have the opposite effect if you're trying to develop a relationship with them. And finally, the peacock is somebody who's a performer. These people are risk-takers socially and they like to be the center of attention. Um, They're oftentimes a social director of a group and um, they are very positive. They're very enthusiastic people. But some of the vices of peacocks is that they can be a little flighty. They sometimes are a little disorganized and they don't really care that much about agendas. You know, For them, relationships are really the big thing in their life. And so it's like, They're happy to have a party with no end time, right? Whereas like a panther is like, exactly what time is this party over? Because I have another thing on my agenda. So if you're interested in learning more about the four temperaments, I actually have the personality test for free on my website at drjudyho.com so you can download it and take it yourself. But I've had a lot of fun talking to people about it. And after I give a talk about it, people are always coming up to me and they're like, I'm a dolphin owl. What are you? And so it's pretty fun.
0: I'll have to take that. And I know everybody else will be headed over there right now today. And I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I probably an owl, if an owl and a dolphin had a baby, that's me.
1: (laughs) That's you. That's amazing. So between the two of us, we've covered like all four quadrants because I'm a panther and peacock. So you've covered like dolphin owl and I have covered panther peacock. So we're like a fully well-rounded human being. Exactly. (laughs) I love
0: it. Dr. Judy Ho, you're so awesome. I love talking to you. Thanks so much for, for being on the podcast.
1: Oh, my goodness. It's so great to reconnect with you again, Dr. Cole. I'm always amazed at everything that you're doing. And thank you again for bringing me in for this conversation.
0: If you want to learn more about Dr. Judy Ho's brilliant work, you can check it all out at drjudyho.com. That's D-R-J-U-D-Y-H-O.com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. All right, now it's time for another Ask Me Anything Today's question is from Tanner. Tanner asks, in your mind, what's the perfect breakfast? Great question, Tanner. Um, well, I typically will do some intermittent fasting in the morning. So I don't always have like my breakfast. My breakfast is normally later on in the day, depending on what type of intermittent fasting or time compressed feeding that I'm doing. And that doesn't mean I can't have a breakfast-y type food later on in the day. Sometimes I definitely do. So if you're talking about more of a traditional breakfast or breakfast, I love the egg which is a recipe in Ketotarian. I also talk about it in Intuitive Fasting, which is just a very simple meal, a very simple dish. It is just splitting an avocado in half and cooking an egg inside the avocado, so freaking good. You could put some chili flakes on it, some hot sauce. You could put some salmon on it if you want some extra clean protein and healthy fats. So I know it's it's probably understated, but I think the avocado with the choline from the egg yolk, the clean protein, you got the monounsaturated fats of the avocado and the fiber from the avocado, as well as the omega fats, in the uh, egg yolk as well. So many really important nutrients for our brain health, our energy, our immune system, our gut health. So if I had to say top of mind, there there are other ones too, but egg avocado is probably my perfect breakfast idea. I also love chia seed pudding, which is very easy to make too. I'm a simple guy. What can I say? I like simple things. Uh, Those are two things that come to mind.